So we're turning to Psalm 37, that very long psalm that was beautifully read, thank you, earlier, on how to, some guidance on how to combat worry. So I'm just going to pray for us as we begin, if that's okay. Yeah, God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray now that you would come by your spirit. Would you open our hearts and our minds to receive from you too? Um, would you minister to us as we, as we look at this beautiful psalm? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to preface this by saying that I'm not talking about the mental illness of anxiety. That needs a different response. But I, what I want us to think about is how do we um, combat worry in the world that we inhabit? We're all inhabiting at, at, at this time a world whose air is thick with the aroma of worry. Have you noticed? And um, one of the speakers at New Wine uh, described this really clearly. She explained kind of the reasons for why worry seems to have got more and more in, at this time. And she said it's because the, some of the structures and institutions that historically have played a part in kind of absorbing excess worry in a nation are beginning to struggle. So, for example, I'm worried about my health, but I know that we've got a good health system that I can rely on. I'm worried about politics, but I can, to some degree, um, rely on good politicians who generally seem to have our best interest and safety at heart. Um, can I even say the church, the global church, the leaders um, across the world are falling into sin and causing pain to those in their care? So what happens when all of these structures and institutions begin to fail is that excess worry, which generally is absorbed by these great places and institutions, is no longer being absorbed. And so the atmosphere of worry increases. And the other thing this speaker said, that I'm going to shamelessly steal, and that was really helpful, um, was that worry is contagious. Have you noticed that? So you're like in a room with someone who's really worried and you start to feel, physically feel it in your body. And apparently um, secondhand worry can be passed down through facial expressions, through voice frequency, through odor and touch. And apparently people are four times more likely to catch worry from people that they know. So people in your workplace, people in your family or your friendship group. So knowing this, is it any surprise that worry has increased among us having been through a global pandemic, living through an environmental crisis, living in a time of war and terrorism, and living in a time when many of the institutions that we've relied on in the past to absorb our excess worry are in many ways struggling? Is peace even possible at a time like this? Well, let's turn to scripture. Um, do have your Bibles open, Psalm 37. Now, you will have noticed it was a very long psalm, and that's because it's guided by alphabetical order. And I love the, the technical term for this. It's called an ABC Darian. I just think that's brilliant. So each line has kind of got the beginning of a letter from the Hebrew by, uh, alphabet. And that's why it's not got a particular sort of structure or development of thought or um, it's not building on a particular argument that you can go through logically. What it is, is two main kind of themes that repeat over and over again in lots of different ways. So it's helpful just to know that. And the main theme of this poem is that the wicked may prosper, but the righteous will inherit the land. 
So this is a psalm which is partly grappling with something called retribution theology, this idea that good things should happen to good people, bad things should happen to bad people. We might have heard this called karma or just desserts, but actually what the psalmist has noticed is that isn't the case at all, is it? And in some ways, it's quite the opposite. Um, so what the psalmist says, I think um, it's really nicely put, Psalm, uh, verse 35, he says, I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. Have you ever, have you ever felt that frustration? There's this person that you think is kind of doing wicked things and yet they've got a luxurious life. They're flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. So the first thing to say is that the prosperity gospel has no place in Christian theology. If our faith is founded on a desire to live blissful, peaceful, utopian lives in that sort of sense on this earth, we're going to be really disappointed. The scripture is full of struggle. And in fact, if we look at the Prince of Peace himself, if we look at Jesus, his life right from birth is full of struggle and suffering and pain. So peace in the Bible, is not the absence of struggle. What we're called to do is struggle to remain in peace. And in this psalm, peace is represented by the land. It says, the wicked prosper and flourish, but the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in safety. Six times it talks about the land. Bear with me. I'm going to go through each one. Okay, see if you can follow it. Verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe, safe pasture. Verse nine, those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Verse 11, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Verse 22, those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. Verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. And finally, verse 34, hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. What is the land in the Hebrew Bible? The land is the place where God dwells. We have in the Hebrew Bible the covenant that was made between God and the people of Israel, that they would inherit the land, the place where God would once more dwell with them, that they would dwell in safety, that they would multiply in number, that there would be a place where the nations would be drawn to their light because the land represents the presence of God. And we know the story really well, don't we? The story in Genesis, there's the Garden of Eden, the place where humans walked with God and walked. God walked with them, it says, in the cool of the night. And then humans turned away. They, they rebelled against God and so they were expelled from the land. And it says that there were cherubim and flaming swords then guarding that land. There was no way back to enter that place of dwelling. And then we've got this narrative of them returning to the land and then what happens when Jesus dies, it says the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwelt, from the people, the curtain, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And what was embroidered on those veils was the cherubim of the Garden of Eden guarding the way back. And it's torn in two. 
And Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Wow. And we're called to dwell in that place of confidence and the assurance of our peace once more with God. That's what we remember when we come to communion later. But it's a struggle, isn't it? It's hard to actually live in the fullness of that reality, to live as though it were true. How do we live? How do we dwell in that place of peace? and not be controlled by the bindweed of worry that goes around our minds. C.S. Lewis says, There's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against God. So, the psalm gives us two practical ways, and they're really, really simple, but difficult (laughs) to do. Okay, one, feed on truth. I mean, they're not difficult to do, but it's a struggle. You know what I mean? The feed on truth, that is the word. And second, be still. Worrying can be described as a self-talking, where we talk to ourselves repetitively over and over again, as I said before, about a thing that may or may not happen in the future. And sometimes it can spiral. And our bodies don't know the difference between what's going on and we're imagining in our minds to whether it's a real event happening. So we can be lying in bed. Have you ever had this? You're lying in bed, you're actually safe and comfortable and warm, but your heart rate starts to go and you start to sweat. And what we're doing is not helpful. We're not actually solving any problems of this possible event in the future, are we? And Jesus said, who of you by worrying can add a single day to your life? Worrying is not productive. And so one of the strategies against worry in in Psalm 37 is feeding on the truth. Verse 30 to 31 says, The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. The law of God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. Psalm 1 talks about this beautifully. I love Psalm 1, the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a a tree, not plea, a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. So beautiful. There is power in words, whether it's the words ruminating in our minds over and over again or the words that we speak. And so we need to exchange our worrisome thoughts with the truth of scripture, feed on the truth. I've said this before, um, so forgive me if you've heard me say this many times probably, Um, but I once struggled, and I still struggle a little bit with complex post-traumatic stress. And that means flashbacks when it was really bad were just over and over again repeating in my mind's eye. And it was like a TV screen and nightmares and all sorts. And so I physically didn't have the energy to really get my head around reading lots of scripture. So what I did was meditate on one psalm. One psalm I memorized for however long it took. For that year, it was just one psalm. And so I was working in a shop, I was folding clothes, and I would just go, God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, I long for you, I thirst for you, repeating it over and over and over again. And feeding on it, it helps, it really helps, but it's a determination and a struggle to do that, to feed on the truth. Secondly, 
be still. We need to consciously contend to be still. Verse 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. A similar uh, line in another, in another psalm, it's Psalm 46, says, be still and know that I am God. Remember that line? Be still and know that I am God. And that psalm is in the context of a battle. Like they are being assailed, they are being attacked in this psalm. And God says, stop, be still and know that I am God. In other words, pray, come to me first. And one of the things I love about this church is we are a praying church. I love it. So much prayer going on. And if you want to know more about the prayer groups, just check out the notice sheet and the website. Little plug there. Paul, we've heard this in our prayers. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, it's not easy, is it, to always give our prayers and our anxieties to God and not take them back? That's what I do. I just go, okay, I'll have it back now. (laughs) Nothing's changed. I'll have it back. We've got to leave it with him. And sometimes we struggle to do it because we don't think God cares. Paul says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, as Penelope said. The balm for our distress, for our worry, is his presence. Christ has made a way back to his presence, back to the land. We as a church are a word and a spirit church, and that means we need scripture we need, we need God's word to be living and active in our hearts and our minds. And we need to allow ourselves to be held in the arms of our heavenly father in his presence, the one who cares for us. We are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit here with us right now. Let's make the most of it. It's not just an intellectual exercise, is it? It's a relationship. We know that. So this is the invitation this morning to come to your heavenly father, the one who cares for you in prayer, in worship, casting your anxiety on him because he cares for you, even in the midst of struggle and wait patiently for him. Can we be a people who change the atmosphere, change the atmosphere of this nation of worry into peace in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families? So to finish, to combat worry, feed on truth, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Amen.